I might have shared with you, I had a hamster at one point. His name was Reap. I don't know if you remember the story. Reap, short for Reap-a-Cheap uh, from the Narnia series. And uh, not as friendly as that mouse from the Narnia series, though. As a matter of fact, kind of the opposite of the Narnia series guy. But Reap, Reap had his own little world. Uh, you know, he, he had this, little, this hamster cage, and he had his system. He had a way of doing things. Uh, he, he, he would just wake up. He would eat a little bit. He would hide seed and the stuff that we would give him in all these little places. He would sleep, and then he would run a little bit, a little bit in his wheel or in the little ball that we, that we would put him in. He, was, he didn't really care too much about us. My, my family may differ on that. They, they may think that he really loved us. I don't think he cared a lick about me uh, whatsoever as long as I was giving him those, that food. Um, and he was happy as long as you didn't mess with his world. He was very, very, very content, especially a certain little corner of his world. It was this little corner in his hamster cage uh, full of all that little confetti stuff, right? And he would bet, just bet up there. And he would be there like a lot of time. Um, and he hated it when you messed with him, especially in that corner. He felt real safe in that corner. That was his corner. That was his little world. And especially if you messed with him during his nap. If you tried to kind of get in there and, and, and poke or do whatever, try to get him out, he would like and do this weird sound, and then kind of snarl and even bite you. He wanted, to know, he wanted you to know, he's like, hey, this is, this is my territory. You're not going to mess with this territory. Uh, bad things are going to happen if you do. I, I, sometimes I look at our passage today, and I look at this world that these guys have set up. This system is a system of man's religion. Uh, it's seen in the church sometimes, in legalism, uh, but it's also seen in the system of this world. You know what Jesus does? He kind of comes into that system and he messes things up. And people don't like it one bit. Not in the least. They feel threatened. They want to maintain control of their little world. They want to maintain control of the people that are in it. And that's exactly what we're going to see today is how Jesus kind of breaks into this and the reaction uh, that the world has or the, this man's system of religion. That's what it's all about. It's about a man-centered religion, whether it's through legalism or adding laws uh, to God's word or whether it's a man-centered religion that is found in the world. It is man-centered it is self-salvation. And it is following a bunch of man-made rules that achieve this salvation and that declare one person righteous over another. Jesus breaks right into that, and here we see uh, what happens uh, when he does. Ultimately, man wants to be worshipped. Man wants to achieve righteousness and salvation for themselves, and they make laws. They make laws in order to convey that system. And when someone comes in, threatens their territory, they're going to respond. I've broken up this sermon uh, into three parts that we're going to look at today. Uh, the first part that we see here 
is the infraction. The infraction, verses 13 through 17, John chapter 9. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. It was the Sabbath on the day that Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. He said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others were saying, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Sure, people here, maybe not all of you, but many of you celebrated your sweet 16 birthday party. Not as guys, I guess, aren't as into as much as, as girls for a sweet 16, but it's a pretty important event, isn't it? Uh, you know, why is that? Well, uh, it's kind of like that entry into adulthood uh, for American culture. Uh, but it's a, it's a time you only get one in your life, right? So you want it to be pretty, pretty memorable. Uh, that's kind of what happened at uh, Jacinda's Sweet 16 birthday party. But it was memorable uh, for some really, really different reasons. Uh, you see, uh, Jacinda had the sweet 16th birthday party on Sunday evening, May 17th. And they were prepared uh, for some inclement weather. As a matter of fact, the stepfather purchased a tent just in case it, it rained. Well, while the stepfather, uh, Joe Cambry, was playing horseshoes in the backyard, other people were swimming. There was a total of about 40 people there. Suddenly, it started raining. However, this wasn't typical rain that falls from the sky. As a matter of fact, uh, it started raining poo-poo. That's correct. It started raining poo from the sky and landing all over (laughs) said people. I had to really think whether or not I wanted to use this sermon illustration. We're going to see what happens afterwards. And here they are, and little did he know that the canopy uh, was going to be protecting them from the elements of, yes, number two. Um, And here they are, and one guy's eating his cake, and he says, all of a sudden I hear this splat, and another guy says, it's like a thousand birds passed over and all decided to go to the bathroom all at once. So what happened was there was an airplane flying over, and they are not allowed to to dump their waste over public areas. But that is exactly what happened, and hence the birthday party kind of went to the toilet at that point, didn't it? Do you know where that was? That was the town over from my hometown in Levittown, Pennsylvania. So real proud uh, to be coming from a place like that. But I I look at that, and it's funny, but it's kind of, think about Jacinda, right? Here she is, She she has one moment And it's supposed to be a celebration. It's supposed to be something really, really good. And it turns into something kind of stinky in a way. And that is 
now her memory of that event for her entire life. I look at that illustration and I look at what is happening here and I see something similar. And here's what you have is what happens when there is a man-made self-righteousness. Here this man has been blind his entire life. And it seems like his neighbors were kind of like almost informants. And they bring him to the ones who are in control of the law, the Pharisees. And they bring this guy, a day that is supposed to be a celebration, a day where these folks should be rejoicing in what God has done in this man's life. And instead of a celebration, they start an investigation into it. And instead of rejoicing with this man, instead of praising God and fearing Jesus Christ, they say, how did you get healed? And their conclusion, because of what Jesus did, is that Jesus is no good. One of the things that we need to see throughout this is these guys are the ones who are blind. It's all about seeing, isn't it? These guys are blinded. They're blinded by their man-made righteousness. They're blinded to the work that Jesus is doing. And they are blinded by their own pride. Whether it's in the church, in legalism, or whether it's in the world, they value the system. They value control. They value power. They value a man-made salvation over life. This man can now see, and they're angry. That's insanity. And that's exactly what this type of man-made religion does. It doesn't focus on the good. It looks for the bad. It hunts it out. Notice here that Jesus definitely was instigating this controversy. So he breaks into their world, he instigates this controversy, and he makes clay. He does something that is against their law, but it is an added law. And when we go back, when we think about what legalism is, what this self-man-made righteousness looks like, that's exactly what it does. There are good laws, and there are man-made laws. There is God's law, and then there is legalism, which adds to God's law. Go all the way back to the garden because that's where it started. You remember when Eve was tempted by the serpent? Her response is legalistic. It is part true and part false. She says to the serpent, he told us not to touch it or eat from it or you'll die. That's not what God said. Never said don't touch it. But that's exactly what it does. Legalism sets up, this is what is bad, and it puts a gate around it, and he says, if you cross this, then you are bad, you are the sinner. And it is a man-made self-righteousness. And that is how these guys in Jesus' day are living their lives. And they judge people accordingly. But the world does the same thing. The world has a set of laws And some laws are good, and some laws are not good. Some laws are cultural laws. And it looks at what Jesus is doing in the world, and it doesn't see any of the good that he is doing. 
And it says, well, if you break this law, if you break this cultural norm that we have set, then you are a sinner. You can't be from God. What Jesus is doing can't be good because he breaks these laws. And Jesus messes all of that up. As a matter of fact, the whole goal here uh, is re-education. So they bring this guy in and they want to re-educate him. But these guys are absolutely spiritually blind. They cannot see the good that Jesus is doing. Instead, they see this sin against the law that they created themselves. And what they try to do here is convince this guy otherwise. They're trying to keep their disciples. They're trying to keep these individuals within this system. A system that is based upon a righteousness by following a set of laws. That has people over to arbitrate those laws. To to be the, the judge and jury of those laws. And to say, no, 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 no. If you do that, you're wrong. If you do that, you're a sinner. If you do that, you are not righteous. Folks, one of the biggest things that we have to see here is that righteousness is not achieved by following laws. It is not achieved by following a man's system of religion. Righteousness and true spiritual healing only come through Jesus Christ. That's it. Legalism, world system of man's religion, want us to think otherwise, and they want to re-educate. They want to let you know, through their interpretation of life, that you need a little bit of training. As a matter of fact, uh, they want to re-educate Jesus. Uh, there's a story going around right now about Jesus actually is a racist. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, he's a racist because of the way that he spoke to the woman who came about the healing in her daughter. And he says, don't give what is good to the dogs. Um, and they have interpreted this the culture and said this is a racial slur. Their response is this, how remarkable it is that the Spirit chose a pagan woman to teach Jesus, a Jewish man, this lesson. Even Jesus needs to be re-educated. Even Jesus needs to learn from this world. Crazy, isn't it? It's the world system of legalism. Jesus broke a law. Jesus broke their, uh, their interpretation. And because of that, they need to teach Jesus. And that's what this system wants to do. It just wants to teach you. Oh, hey, yeah, we, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe that truth, but you need a little tweaking here. Because Jesus is going against our rules. Jesus is going against our regulations. And these regulations are what make you righteous. If you believe, you know, that Jesus, you know, whatever it is, whatever truth it is, their goal is to re-educate you. And they still have this formalism that is based upon these laws and their own idea of righteousness. The target remains the same, Jesus Christ and those who follow him, those who adhere to his truth, and those who are freed from such a system. Uh, this man is experiencing Jesus Christ. And what is happening is this system 
is coming against him. But what is good news is that uh, the gospel infiltrates this system. As we can see, there's a division. And we're going to expound on that division here in a little bit. But people begin to wonder, and they say, wait a second, you're saying this. However, Jesus did this. How can a man who is bad do something that is good, basically? And then they ask him what they think about Jesus. Brings us to our next part, which is, so first was the infraction. The second part is the intimidation. Verses 18 through 23. The Jews didn't believe in that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how, but how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. There's a, a word that comes up a lot in this text. It's the word no. It's kind of funny uh, when we look at the word no and who thinks they know or doesn't know or what they know and how they know it. Uh, so the Pharisees, they're the ones in the know. Uh, they think they know and they think that the blind man doesn't know. The parents actually know, but they're going to tell the Pharisees they don't know. The man who was healed, he's the only guy who truly knows. Um, and it's all about Jesus opening eyes to the truth. The only one who actually knows who Jesus is and what has happened is this blind man. Everyone else is either denying what they know or think they know and they have it wrong. Um, it's really interesting to watch how these people work. Um, so you see a form of in intimidation here in a couple ways. Number one is now they bring this guy's parents. I mean, if we think about how crazy this is, this is because Jesus made mud. So we see how nuts that is? Now they're, not only has the Inquisition <laughs> gone from the guy, he's like, wait, Call the family in. I want to talk to you. They don't, number one, they don't believe them. And they're trying to get people to not believe as well. And they, they bring in his family. And that's a form of intimidation. It's a form of intimidation for the family. It's a form of intimidation for the man as well. The world and these systems of religion operate in a similar way. By fear, intimidation, and control and exclusion. There was a girl, uh, she was the daughter of a pastor. Uh, she was asked to give a closing prayer at her high school graduation. And she was all ready to, to give the prayer. And the principal came up to her and she said, 
hey, you know what? I, it's great. You can, you can give the prayer, but can, can you do us a favor? What do you think the favor was? Can you not mention someone's name? Anyone? Jesus Christ. Can you not mention the name of Jesus? Because we don't want to offend anybody. Okay. High school girl. Here's the principal. Now, even though she's graduating, she's got a lot of sway, doesn't she? She's an authority figure in her life. And who knows? Maybe some people might have gotten offended. Maybe her friends would have gotten offended. So this girl's world is kind of like, oh, okay. It's threatened at this point. Her response was actually 10 times better than the parents here. Um, So her response is, sure, I can do that. They also asked a Jewish girl to do the closing prayer, and she said, sure, I'll do that. She said, if the Jewish girl can put Jesus' name in her prayer, because we wouldn't want my friends to be offended either. So that's a classic response. I don't think I would be able to think that quickly. Um, but what, are the, what is the world trying to do? What does, what does the world system, so the, the law would be, don't say Jesus' name, you're going to offend people, right? Uh, we don't want to do that. You know, don't say the truth. We don't want to do that because that's going to offend people. You're going to break the law. So what the world wants to do is exclude you. Exclude you based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. It happens in families, it happens at work, it happens in churches that are legalistic or man-made systems of self-righteousness, and it happens in the world at large. Notice what they say. Notice why the parents don't respond the way they should have. They're afraid. They're afraid of being put out of the synagogue. Jesus divides. He divides. And we see that the division, even here, begins in the family, doesn't it? Because now you have this guy's parents, and this is real sad. Because this guy was blind his entire life. I mean, if my child was born blind or my child had, had, had issues or something going on, and all of a sudden, they meet Jesus Christ, and they are healed of that problem. I'd, you better believe I would be telling these guys their name. I would say, you know what? My son sat under your dumb laws for all this time, and he's, he's remained the same. He meets Jesus one day, and he's blind. His name is Jesus. He healed them, and I'm going to go with them too. That's what I would have been done, hopefully. They don't celebrate the son. They don't even back the son up. And now you begin to see how Jesus even divides the family. They're afraid to say the name of Jesus. They're not even confessing he's the Christ. That is how much power people have over us. And Jesus sets us free from that. The world wants to influence us. The world wants to be like, oh, hey, guess what? If you say that, you might not be invited to the big parties. Hey, if you say that, we might have to take away some money that we're giving you. Hey, if you say that, and so on, and so on, and so on. 
We're going to exclude you. T.S. Eliot was, kind of felt some of this in, in his conversion. I'm sure you, people know about T.S. Eliot. Um, he became a Christian and he was baptized. And prior to that conversion, he, he belonged to a really uh, important group, London, London's Bloomsbury Group. It was a, a small informal associates of artists and intellectuals who lived and worked in the Bloomsbury area of central London. When the news of his conversion uh, got out, they responded with shock and disgust. This is this little group of intellectuals, his, his friends, his social circles. As a matter of fact, Virginia Woolf, this lady here, uh, who was the de facto leader of the group, penned the following letter uh, to one of her peers. She said, I had the most shameful and distressing interview with dear Tom Elliott. He can be called dead to us. Uh, from this day forward, he's become a believer in God and immortality, and he goes to church. I was shocked. A corpse would seem more credible than he is. I mean, there's something obscene about a living person sitting by the fire and believing in God. Do you notice what happens there? What is that? It's social pressure, isn't it? And it's an exclusion. Poor, he's dead to them. He's not part of their group. Folks, we, we have to understand, and, and I feel like... I feel like in America, we have it real easy when we become believers in Christ. There is not, this doesn't happen as much. And it doesn't happen in the extreme ways that it happened here in this context and throughout history and over in other countries right now. When people believe in Jesus in other countries, this happens to the nth degree. They are cast out, even of their own families. You and I can believe and we can keep that personal belief. And as long, as long as we are not telling people that truth, then we're okay, right? It's when we begin to talk to people. And maybe that's why we're not facing as much persecution as some other places. I'm just throwing it out there. Maybe it's because we're afraid. Maybe we're afraid of losing our friends. Maybe we're afraid of of being ostracized at our job or losing our jobs. Maybe we're afraid of being penalized by this society. Please don't let that fear control you. That is man's system. And they operate through fear, power, and control. The truth is the truth. Now, we need to do it in a way that is gentle and loving, but we need to preach that truth. We can't let people bully us around and tell us, if you say this and this and that, you're going to pay the price. Tell you what, they're going to pay the price. And the price is their lives in eternity. It's how they control. It's how they control us. You're going to be put out of the synagogue. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. Watch your step. Be careful where you tread. I think we've got to understand what it means to be put out of the synagogue in this context because it's not that they just are kicked out of church. That just wasn't it at all. This was their life. This was their life. And I tell you what, we, we, we all, myself included, we all have to understand Allegiance to Jesus Christ is a break with our life. 
we need to be willing to say, okay, I am going to let this all go. He's worth it. All of it. Whether it's our family, whether it's our friends, whether it's our jobs, whether it's our social standings in society, break with it. We need to be okay with that. You don't think they knew? <laughs> you, you don't think, they don't think that you don't know, knew? The kid was blind his entire life. You don't think he told his parents that it was Jesus? Well, we know that he went and told all the neighbors because he says it's the man called Jesus. It's the only name that's said in the context is Jesus' name. They knew. They were afraid. They were afraid. Be kicked out of the synagogue. So the, uh, one commentator uh, talks about kind of the different levels uh, of what that, that, looks, that looks like. Uh, so the first excluded the person from interaction with people, even with his own family for a period of 30 days. So he was under uh, spiritual quarantine, if you will, and he had to practice social distancing. He actually couldn't be within four cubits of another person. So it's kind of interesting uh, when you think about the context of all that. Uh, but yeah, so, so if he didn't repent, uh, this could be uh, doubled or tripled. Uh, secondly, the, the separated person was then excluded from all sacred meetings and was accompanied with dreadful curses. I'm, <laughs> there's debate about the curses. I mean, but, you know, so whether or not, I don't know, what they're, they're, they got a little pot and they're casting in all of these herbs and frog legs and stuff and putting curses on people. But it seems to be, you know, like it, it, people don't want to be cursed. So, and it forbade all interaction with others whatsoever. The third was still more severe, regarded as final and total exclusion of that person from their community. This was their life, their whole life, and social circles, everything. Do we, do we see? We see the connection. But we gain so much more. I mean, look where we're at today, together. We gain a new family. We gain a new community that's not based on this junk. Who wants to be in this world anyway? These guys are nuts. It's based on grace. It's based on what Jesus has done. It's based on his righteousness. It's based on love. It's not based on legalism and laws and spiritual abuse and intimidation and fear. Not on any of that. But this was their life. This was their identity. And when we, we come to Christ, we have this whole new identity. We live in a completely different world. It affected their life in so many ways, and Jesus does that for us. He should, he should invade every aspect of our life. Family, friends, work, school, wherever it is. And what happens is eventually it comes down to this decision. Uh, the decision that's faced, that this guy now faces, brings us to our third and final point, which is the, the ultimatum. Uh, verses 24 through 34. So a second time, 
So the parents kind of forget about the son. They go, ask him yourself. Real nice parents, don't defend him. Second time, they called the man in, back to him, who had been blind and said to him, it's a command. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They, they don't listen very well. He answered, he said, I already told you, and you didn't listen. What, do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples do, too, do you? They reviled him. You're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. Very true. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he is from. Uh, the man answered and said to him, well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. If anyone is God-fearing, does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and they, sa he, they said, you were born entirely of your sins and you are teaching us. So they put him out. I remember certain aspects of my, my training uh, in the Navy. Uh, I think I've shared uh, the reason I came to Maine was to go up into the Rangeley Woods uh, to do a simulated crash and prisoner of war camp. Um, lots of fun. A couple days in, uh, I think it was early, uh, late fall, early winter, uh, Maine Woods. So the whole goal is to prepare you, uh, to kind of get you ready uh, for what you would expect if you crashed in your aircraft and you found yourself in enemy territory. So you had to evade and you go through all these scenarios and then they put you in this simulated prisoner of war camp. Well, it, it's supposed to be simulated. It feels very, very real. Their whole goal is to break you, is to break you down, wear you down, um, to get you to a point to where you disavow America and everything that they're doing, where you say, okay, I'm wrong, I'm the creep, you guys are right. And then they, they, it, it ends uh, by a series of tortures, I guess you could say, something like that. Can't go too much into detail, but you, you get put in a box, uh, they do some unpleasant things, they take you out of the box, they do some more unpleasant things. And at this point, you just want it all to stop. And you're like, okay. And they put a paper before you. And they say, sign. And course in that signature you are disavowing America you're turning against them and you're saying that these people are correct and you're going to join this side basically I I wish I could say I didn't sign I don't I don't remember <laughs> what happened I probably signed because I'm like dude this is nuts just get me out of here I don't really care at this point you know give me your flag I'll drape it around my face if I have to uh, because it was but it, it gets you ready uh, to that point ultimatums ultimatums. You know, the, the world, man's system of religion, they are going to try to break you down. They want to break you down and bring you to this point. And notice this point for this man is real tricky. It's a command. The command is kind of twofold. The command is give glory to God. This man is a sinner. So it is 
give glory to God, deny Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the sinner. And the legalistic, self-man-made righteousness views the good in following the law. It views giving glory to God, that we can give glory to God by following the law or achieving this self-salvation for ourselves. And the world is the same way. The good is adhering to what they are saying, adhering to their truth and therefore denying Jesus. Folks, we all have to come to this point in our lives. It's a point for this man. It is a point for each and every single one of us. Self-salvation, man-made religion, self-righteousness, and Jesus are absolutely incompatible. It just can't happen. And the trick of this one is, is that it's actually giving glory to God by affirming who Jesus is. That is how we give glory to God, is we believe in him and we believe in the righteousness that comes from him. But, but notice, there, this happens throughout history. Uh, whether it's this ultimatum or any other ultimatum, notice what the Christians are going to face later on. Who does who it give glory to? Give glory to Caesar. Jesus is a sinner. Uh, how about throughout our, our own uh, history that we know about? Uh, give glory to this ideology. How about Nazism? How about communism? How about all the world's ideology? Give glory to this system. Give glory to the state. Give glory to this person. Deny Jesus Christ. Or the heart of man's religion. Give glory to yourself. Jesus is a sinner. As a matter of fact, it, it ends up in Revelation 13. Another ultimatum. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. I hope that we have made this decision already. If we make it now, it should be easier then. Because this, this is an ultimatum for all of us. It's either man's system, it is either a world's religion, it is either a self-salvation, however you want to frame it, or it's Jesus Christ. That's your ultimatum. It's a choice that each and every single one of us needs to make. What do we say about Jesus? And it's a choice, it's an ultimatum that you and I may, may face, just like this guy one day. Where people come before us, and here, this poor guy, he, he, he's healed, he's blind, he can actually see the people talking to him, and now they're saying, you need to deny the one who has restored your life. Deny the one who has healed you and give glory to God. But I love this guy's response. He's a little sarcastic. I'm beginning to like this guy a lot. He gets his sight and he gets his wit and he gets everything back um, because he, he's like, 
oh, you too don't want to become his disciple, do you? Uh, but his, his other response is, is even better. And look, when we're, when we're faced with this, with this ultimatum, right, this gives us an opportunity for evangelism because that's exactly what this guy does. And he uses what I call logical evangelism. He kind of just breaks it down uh, for these guys. But his, his one response is, is really, really funny uh, because he goes, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. You, you don't know, I'm surprised you don't know something, where he's from, but yet it doesn't change the fact that I can see. What a great way to start out our evangelism. And I, I want to I point out this fact here that, look, you don't have to be a world-renowned apologist to, to speak for Christ. You don't have to know all the answers. He doesn't. What does he share? His testimony. He shares the fact that Jesus did something, that I met this guy named Jesus, and he opened my eyes. How he did it, not quite sure. Who he is, not quite sure. So this is the the basics right now. This man eventually is going to become a true disciple. We're going to see that next week. Um, But what he is doing is he is sharing his testimony to these guys. And it's a, it's a pretty logical testimony. Notice that he says to them, again, you don't know something, it doesn't change the fact of what happened. And that's how we can open up. Hey, you guys may not know Jesus. You may not know or believe in him. You may think he is a bad person, but I'm going to tell you, he changed my life. Your testimony. And it doesn't change the fact that I was going in a certain direction and all of a sudden I meet Jesus and that's it. I've changed. And we can point to all the people in this world and say, hey, it doesn't make sense. You say Jesus is bad, but look at all the good he's done in people's lives. How did these people change if Jesus isn't who he says he is? And then he breaks it down for them. He uses their own label because he says, you called him a sinner, but it doesn't make sense. If God doesn't hear sinners, then how can he hear this man? And then he goes into history, not since the beginning of time. And then he goes into the if-then. If this were not the case, if, if Jesus was a sinner, he can do what? Absolutely nothing. But since he's not a sinner, then he's from God. It's personal testimony. And he tells them what he knows. Tells them what he knows. That's what evangelism is. It's sharing what you know that Jesus has done in your life accompanied by the gospel, but started with your testimony. Jesus heals people. And the way that he has come to us and the way that we have been converted, each story is different. But he remains the same. He's the constant in all of it. And he's the one uh, that we point to. And notice throughout this, what's happening with this guy? 
He's growing. He's growing in his faith. You and I are going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ when we're put in these situations. We don't like these situations sometimes. Sometimes they're difficult. You know, sometimes there's a lot of pressure. Sometimes there's some huge conflict. But he, he's growing in his faith. He's got a lot of courage, much more courage than his parents. And he's growing in his relationship and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, what happens with our guys? Were they like, after he shares this wonderful, wonderful logical testimony that he gives, they're like, oh, whoo, thank you so much. So glad that you shared that with us. You know what? We were wrong this entire time. We're going to abandon our little system. We're going to abandon our little corner here, and we're going to all become uh, disciples of Jesus. Is that, is that what happens? They're all, they're all excited, cheering. No, unfortunately not. It's kind of funny. What, and what we see here is real, real important. And what we see here is really the, it reveals the heart of this type of man-made religion, this self-righteousness. They're unteachable. Unless God does a work in their heart, these guys are as blind as could be. And they're, they're hardened. They're hardened in their hearts. And they remain unteachable. And notice what they do with this man. Notice what they call him. So all along they're calling Jesus the sinner, right? Jesus is the sinner. He's the bad one. He's the one who breaks the law. They call him a sinner now too. That's identification with Christ. When you and I identify with Jesus Christ, guess what? We're going to get all those labels he gets. We're going to be put out. That's exactly where the Christ confession leads us. It leads to a break with man's religion. It absolutely has to, by the way. It has to. You and I cannot live in a system of self man-made righteousness and be a believer in Christ. Those two are incompatible. There is either a righteousness that is achieved uh, through this world religion, through this system, these man-made laws, or there's a righteousness, a healing, a salvation that is brought about by Jesus. And those individuals, when, when, when this system is threatened, they're going to try to maintain that power. They're going to try to maintain that control. They're going to point out all these laws that were broken. They're going to try to intimidate us with exclusion. And ultimately, they're going to give us an ultimatum. And we have to decide, who are we going to follow? Because it results in a, a break from this man's way of life, doesn't it? His whole community, his family, friends, gone. But when we're cast out by them, someone else accepts us, doesn't he? And we're going to see that next week. Father, thank you for uh, the righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to follow man-made laws, man-made religions, 
to earn favor with you. Thank you that because of Christ, you look upon us and see not our works, but His. Lord, help us uh, to not be swayed by this world. Help us to not give in to these systems. Help us to not be afraid to proclaim the one and only name that matters, the name of Jesus Christ. Give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.